Hello there guys, it's Ryan. I'm just checking in to tell you about the second tier betting show, which is where myself and tipster Jimmy the Punt pick out our best bets in the championship each weekend. We've been doing it since the start of the season and have made a tasty little profit in that time with winners at prices as big as 25 to 1. We have a new episode out every Thursday and Monday if there's a full round of midweek games. So if you enjoy having a flutter on the championship, why not give it a listen? Search Second Tier Betting on your favourite podcast platform. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Storm Eunice, my John Eustace. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. <laughs> Justin, how are you? Yeah, a lot better after hearing that comparison. That was uh, that was very good. That's one of your best ones. I like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I do try <laughs> on this podcast every so often. <laughs> on the show this week, we're joined by Charlie Wise from the QPR YouTube channel, Talking Rangers. Charlie, how are you? I'd be better if the uh, Adoma the Adoma winner stood, but uh, yeah, we're getting by. We're getting by. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear. Tom Morgan from the Swansea YouTube channel, Total Swans TV, is also here. Tom, are you well? Yeah, I'm not bad. Uh, I'd be better if we don't speak about the game yesterday. But <laughs> unfortunately, that's exactly why you're here. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast. He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games in the championship from the past weekend. Obviously, talk about what the hell is going on at Reading after an eventful hour for them after their game yesterday. And talk about some of the other news from the past few days. And then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's hopeful eight right at the end. So QPR fell to win for the fourth game in a row after drawing one all with Hall. Charlie, how was the game? It was better. It was a step in step in the right direction for QPR after a really poor couple of weeks. Um, a shocking performance to Barnsley and again, equally shocking uh, to Millwall. One win in seven is not the sort of form that we need to be putting together to, to be trying to get this playoff push. Um, but like I say, a step in the right direction. Started the game slowly again like the last couple, but second half, we looked much better. We looked like the side that we have seen throughout the season and, and we created some good some good chances come the second half for the of the game and it was really disappointing for that goal to to be ruled out the winner in the dying embers of the game uh which i think we, we mentioned before that it, i think it really should have stood it was on side um yeah you take the point but for that game really it was two it was two points dropped it was disappointing to come away with, uh, with just the one there yeah you mentioned the adoma goal that was you you feel you'll definitely feel hard done by after that won't you because looking at all the replays it did seem to be on side so very uh very heartbreaking for qpr but uh, what, what's going on with them at the moment as, as we say one win uh, no win in four games now you're absolutely flying in january weren't you and you look to be the main mm. challenges to bournemouth for the top two but you have dropped off recently yeah it, you know we talk so much about um how clubs you know kind of come through these blips in the championships throughout you know, the course of the season. I think this is sort of second one we're having now. And I think the problem here is it's kind of been a, a real kick in the confidence. We lost Willock in chair. Um, well, we lost chair for AFCON and um, Willock was out with a, with a knock. And we kind of saw how much he means to this side. As I think it's been well documented, you know, how the, maybe a bit of over-reliance we have on chair and Willock. But just a, a bit of a loss of confidence lately, maybe a little bit of doubt and maybe the pressure where this kind of shift in, in mindset where we've been the underdog and, and, and now... You know, we're there, thereabouts, and this is talk about trying to push the top two. We're now, you know, in the mix for, for the playoffs and maybe a little bit of inexperience starting to show for, for some of these players who haven't really been um, campaigning, you know, for promotion. Some of them who even not that much championship experience in itself. So I think, you know, it's a real critical point now and it's going to start to dictate where we will finish. Look to some of the more experienced players like Johansson and Austin, and but they're not really doing it too much of late. So... Um, I think I think we missed an opportunity not going out and getting another attacking player in the window. I think that was one that could cost us come the end of the season. I, I feel like we made some good business bringing in Saunders and Marshall and um, everyone slipped my mind now. And Hendrick, who actually looked quite good yesterday. But yeah, I think we need another attacking player because Chen Willock, of course, they've been fantastic. But, you know, everything everything's got to go through them. And our, our forwards, are, you know, our free, our free strikers are out of form and... And the problem is, if them two aren't quite doing it, there's nobody really else on the bench that we can bring on to change a game. So it's in a bit of a predicament there. But 
um, we're in a great place still um, and we have got the ability and I think we will we will turn it around and hopefully um, sort out this bad run of form we're currently in. Yeah, you, you were alluding to it just then, the reliance on Willock and Cher. Um, that was a point I would been making recently. Do you think that that is the case, that you are a bit over-reliant on those two? Yeah, I think you could say so. But at the same time, I think I listened, I heard what Justin was saying last week and it's a very valid point. You know, you look to number 10 and, and they're the ones that are going to make it happen and make it happen for you. The problem, as I mentioned, I feel like we could have really done with, you know, one more player that I think it was kind of highlighted in the Millwall game. You've got Chair and Willock on the pitch. Um, they're not really making it happen. And you bring on Charlie Austin and Luke Amos, a box-to-box midfielder and a striker who's, you know, pretty out of form. You know, he's he struggled to, to find the back of the net for the majority of the season. So, it's not really, um, you know, the squad depth is a bit of a problem. And I think you really, you know, a Patterson from Swansea, as it was a Swansea fan on here as well, but, and um, Tom Lawrence, who I mentioned throughout the window, I think we really could have done one of those players because, like I said, it just it just brings us over reliance on, on Trey and Willock. And if, if they're not playing well, then we don't play well. Yeah, definitely. What are you thinking with Hull at the moment, Justin? Two points from five games. They're 13 points above the bottom three. Surely they won't get dragged back into it, will they? No, I don't think they will. I think the last three games, uh, the Fulham defeat, uh, and obviously the previous, uh, the last two draws, I think they've shown that they're, they're becoming a side that's very hard to break down. Of Aladzi slowly transitioning and pro- progressing the team into how he wants to play, which is um, how it should be done. Um, they've, he's not tried to upset the apple cart as such. It's just a case of trying to get those attacking players um, working in cohesion along with the uh, defensive players as well. I think they'll be fine. They'll absolutely be fine. Um, they've got enough quality to, to see themselves away from relegation trouble. Yeah, our best wishes go to Hull goalkeeper Matt Ingram as well, who was stretched off in this game after suffering a nasty-looking injury. Sheffield United 4, Swansea nil. Tom, I feel bad asking you to come on after after this result because <laughs> well, you asked me before was, it, so don't. Feel yeah, so I, I did ask you before to be fair, but this was a proper thumping, wasn't it? Yeah, um, first thirty minutes, the game was done, three uh, 0 down. We really didn't look in the game at all. Um, to say the football was was bad is probably an overstatement because the football was okay. We just couldn't. We just couldn't get through uh, the Sheffield United mid- midfield and you know get into the the defence and we could, we didn't just didn't have any opportunities at goal um, you know for the first sort of half an hour um, for them Morgan Gibbs White just absolutely run the show all game which was even more painful as he was with us for a few months last season um, and I mean their squad is pretty much littered with um, previous Swansea players you got McBurney there um, as well who came on later on in the game. Not that, you know, he's been very prolific this season, so we weren't too worried at that point, even though the, the game was dead and buried. Um, it's just, I don't know, we're just so inconsistent at the moment. Our home form is is really good. Our away form is really bad. Um, the last three games we've conceded eight away games. Uh, in the last three away games, we've conceded eight goals um, without scoring. So it was, it was hard to watch. Uh, I managed to get a stream for it. So I was able to watch the game. I did a, a live watch along. Um, and it was, it was just painful. We're just, like I say, just so inconsistent. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned you, they've got Gibbs White, they've got McBurney. <laughs> of course, they've got Brewster as well, haven't they? Brewster, so it's kind yeah. of like a, um, a, yeah. the best of at uh, Sheffield United, best of Swansea uh, players from seasons past. Um, Gibbs White was class once he scored two. The standout goal, though, was that George Bulldog screamer, Justin. Beautiful mini scissors kick volley. Is that goal of the season for you, Justin? Oh, without a shadow of doubt. Um, it was Chris Volley uh, from a right wing back who doesn't score very often. I think Baldock said it's the best goal he's ever scored, even counting training games as well. So, yeah, it was a, an unbelievable volley. That's how you hit a volley. Uh, and I've seen so many angles from it. I've seen some Swansea fans' videos of it. It's, it just gets better of every single view. I, I can't name a better goal this season than that one. Yeah, definitely. What do you think of the job Russell Martin's doing at Swansea, Tom? Um, I mean, as of late, we're pretty much used to transition periods, uh, transition seasons, you know, rebuilding when a manager leaves. We've heavily relied on, you know, the last two seasons under Cooper with lone players, um, some real quality coming in, like Mark uh, Mark Gahey and Freddie Woodman from, you know, the, the, the youth, uh, the England youth setup that he's been familiar with. So to have someone like Russell Martin come in, yeah, another young manager, not really been in that sort of setup previously, um, 
seemed to do a really good job at MK. All right, I think they finished relatively low in the table last season. I think it was 16th. But their style of football, the brand of football was, you know, it was getting attention. Uh, the fans really seem to enjoy it. It seems to be something the owners want to bring back to the club, um, which is obviously why him and his coaching team have been appointed. Um, I'm always happy to give managers time. I think we overachieved the past two seasons under Cooper. Realistically, we weren't going to finish in the playoffs. Um, two seasons ago, obviously, we managed to do it in the last 20 minutes, uh, swapping places with Forrest. Last season was a lot more consistent of a season. Um, I think we finished third in the league, again, losing out to Brentford in the playoffs. Um, so, again, like I say, it's another transition season. We had it under Potter. We had had it under Cooper. We need to have it under Russell Martin. Um, he seems he seems to only have one, uh, one plan, one style of football. There's no real plan B with him. If plan A doesn't work, he just consists with it and try and make that right, which... I mean, yeah, it, it eventually will work. So for me, I'm hoping he's still here next season. Um, you know, I don't see us falling into a relegation scrap. I think we're better than that. Uh, there's definitely, you know, four or five worse teams in the league than us. Um, but I also haven't set any expectations this season for a playoff finish. Um, and certainly not, certainly not any higher than that. So for me, at the start of the season, I would happily have taken, you know, 10th to 12th position. Uh, which is still very, you know, achievable this year. Um, but I think the one thing Russell Martin will struggle with this year is, like he said in his press conference after the, the game yesterday, he did want more faces in um, in January. I think that's quite clear that, you know, we did miss out on a couple of players due to financial reasons um, and other players going to, to other clubs sort of last minute. Um, so I think it's, it's a really difficult job, the Swansea job, uh, especially this season. Um, you know, we don't really get any huge backing from the board, but at the same time, they're not, and this will probably boil some Swansea fans' blood, they're not the worst owners, you know, in the Football League, and especially in this division. Um, you know, our finances are level. We're not in any uh, financial debt. You know, we're not r rolling in the money. So we haven't got the likes of, you know, the, the bigger, we haven't got the money, the likes of the bigger clubs have got to throw up players and hope it, it, it turns out. Um we're relying on free transfers, you know, 100, 200,000 pound players uh, and loan, loan players. And that really does narrow, you know, the pool of quality that you can bring into a club. Um, and you need to you need to cherry pick players which can adapt and, and can perform to your, um, you know, the, the style that, you, that, that he wants to play. So, you know, I feel for him. I really do. And I feel for every Swansea fan who are, you know, going through this at the moment. But it is a transition period and like russell martin said when he first came in trust the process and i think that's you know that's all we can really do you've got to give the guy and the coaching team time i would like some consistency with the manager um you know having them in for a longer period of time so hopefully that can happen uh, under russell martin because i do like the guy i like i like what he's trying to do and he's always very well dressed when it comes to matches. He is. He Tom is, and Charlie, yeah. <laughs> Tom and Charlie, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Meanwhile, just and I are going to head around the grounds and we'll kick things off with Reading, who, of course, sacked manager Velko Panovic and have appointed Paul Ince. Paul Ince. It came bizarrely after their first win in 12 games. Paul Mann is from the Reading podcast Elm Park Royals. Paul, um, we'll discuss the manager shortly. First off, how's the game? Yeah, fantastic match yesterday. Uh, three points for us. Absolute miracle. Haven't seen anything like it. Massive limbs in Reading, obviously, as you'd expect. Um, yeah, two brilliant starts to the game. Uh, two good goals, sorry. Um, uh, Lucas Jow with an absolute screamer for the second one. Then we go 3 and a lot. John Swift, you're thinking, oh, hang on, we're going to have an easy win here. No, that's not how we do things. Completely switched off. Preston make it 3-1. Then it's 3-2, and you really are fearing the worst. They had chances. I mean, we had more chances to make more goals as well before it was 3-0. But, yeah, that was very, very nervous uh, last few minutes there. And I was feeling physically sick. But we did it, and that's all that matters. And uh, just absolutely huge win. Yeah, well, let's get down to business, Paul. Panovic is sacking. Um, what did you make of that? Has happened, didn't it? Yeah, um, there's no doubt that Panovic had to go. Um, the massive majority of Redden fans, I would say, didn't want to see him continuing as being that way for quite a long 
quite a long distance now since probably the Kidderminster match. That was the real tipping point. And since then, it just got out of control. There's been protests. There's been pitch invasions. There's been fans waiting after the match, after the Peterborough match, just chanting for him to leave. Uh, it was inevitable. Um, it's just a matter of when. And yet again, um, some strange uh, moments with the timing, but I assume we'll come on to that. And just a very, yeah, for a person, I'm kind of, I feel sorry for him because I think he's given everything, but it is the right time. Yeah, and that announcement was shortly followed by his replacement, Paul Ince. I mean, Paul Ince. Um, what on earth are your thoughts about that? I don't think my brain has fully absorbed that appointment yet. Um, uh, if I was to say that was the name that I would definitely pick out to take over, it 100% would be a lie. Uh, there's no way. That is such a random moment. And obviously there's murmurings about whether it's a Kia Jarcham appointment. I can't completely can, uh, link those two up, but wow. Um, only eight years out of management. It, it all sounds good, Ryan. I mean, he's the obvious choice, isn't he? He's the man who'd want you to take you over a relegation battle. But I guess if he's there, you have to get behind him. But you can't agree with the system that's probably put him in place at all and that's a whole different topic but yeah very very random so paul are you feeling more optimistic or less optimistic about staying up now um, than you were moments after the preston win uh, bizarrely i'm actually feeling more confident now than uh, i was even at full time because I think the Panovich situation was so out of control. I'm really kind of hoping, unless Paul Ince has an absolute miracle run with Michael Jilks there alongside him, who's obviously um, a Reading legend, that uh, we bring in someone else. Um, names, uh, just so many of them, it's hard to pick one out. And you never know with our owner. He'll probably pick someone from the Korean League that we've never heard of before. But yeah, I guess the change was needed because the fan base was completely... I mean, I wouldn't say it was split. It was just totally against Panovic and that needed to change. So, yeah, I would say I'm marginally more optimistic, but uh, we could do without Derby scoring last minute goals. So that wasn't very much fun at all. Cheers, Paul. Justin, we may as well open up this can of worms now. First off, Panovic is sacking. What's your reaction? Well, yeah, I sort of lost for words at the timing because they've had weeks months to do it and they do it after a win it doesn't really make sense um it would have made sense to do it as i say probably six weeks ago after the Kidderminster defeat um just because that was an opportune time to do it it was the right time to do it and they could have saved themselves um a lot of lost points essentially with a new manager coming in and new ideas they, they could have had more points on the board at this point but as i say to do it after probably their best performance since september is um is, is quite strange but obviously it was it was already agreed beforehand but yeah it's, it's the right thing to do i'd like panovic he's a nice guy but it clearly wasn't working yeah, it had to happen, didn't it? The timing was a bit weird, it's got to be said. But Reading were playing woefully and were on a course to go down, weren't they, if something yeah. didn't change? To be fair to Panovic, he has been brilliant in the way he's handled the whole situation, being told before the game that he's been sacked and still leading them um, like this. Very professional, especially when you get a win as well. Um, but you could see in his interviews from the past few weeks that even though Reading were playing so badly, he cared a lot about mm -hmm. the club and he was desperate for things to turn around wanting but he was clearly just not going to happen he's not been helped by injuries and the club itself is just a mess isn't it but when Reading have been as hapless as they have been prior to this result it needed to change didn't it so I'm not surprised at all um, the timing was surprising but you know that's the world we're living in right now um, whether Paul Ince is the answer is a different story so he's been given the job until the end of the season. What on earth did you think of this decision, Justin? I think my, it was quite hard picking my draw up off the floor. Um, Paul Ince talks a big game, doesn't he? But at no point has he ever convinced. Um, I think this is just his second job at championship level, isn't it, as well? Obviously, he was at Blackpool for a short period of time before he got sacked there. Um, he's, he's been at MK Dons, he was at Blackburn in the Premier League. Yeah, it's it's not a convincing one. Whether or not he's the right man for, for Reading because they've got to get organised and he's got to get the best out of that attacking quartet that they've got um, as well. I don't know if he's the man to do it. Neil Warnock would have made sense. That seems the obvious option. And there are 
better options out there than Paul Ince that isn't Neil Warnock as well. So it's just quite strange. And obviously with Tom Ince going there, it just all looks a bit strange. It all looks a bit weird. Yeah, the whole thing's very suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> when you've got this agent who Reading fans are not very yeah. happy with, who clearly has a lot of fingers in pies at the club and has seemingly managed to get Tom Ince alone there and now has Paul Ince as manager. I mean, Paul Ince, Justin. If those in charge of the club have got the club's best interests at heart, then how does it make sense to appoint a guy who's not managed a club in eight years and when he has, his his record has been appalling, hasn't it? At every yeah. club he's been at, bar that one season, I think it was, MK Dons. He, he is, judging by his track record, just clearly a bad manager. <laughs> so if you're running a club, you wouldn't appoint... Paul Ince based on the track record would you but they've clearly done it because they've got this agent in their ear who's telling them what to do and I know Paunovic has been awful recently but I think I'd rather have kept him on than giving it to Paul Ince because I, I really do not see the thinking behind this at all as you say you could appoint anyone else in the world but you appoint this guy who his record is just awful everywhere so I'm very worried about them now I mean I was very worried to begin with but now I'm seriously concerned after this appointment because I, I cannot understand the thinking behind it at all and um, quick word on the game then Justin Reading looked completely different to the side we've seen <laughs> in recent weeks didn't they and it's all just very ironic when it's the manager's last game in charge and he knew beforehand that he was getting sacked yeah you've got to praise the performance Reading because they've, they've created a shed load of chances I think the only disappointing thing is they allowed Preston to get back into the game um, John Swift was absolutely unplayable Lucas Shaw was was deadly in front of goal um, and the whole team did their bit they worked hard they they ground they, they grinded uh, ground out the win as well it, it's a massive massive three points and as I say that that attacking quartet that they've got on the books um, Zhao Meite Swift Ince even Hoylet for me, that could be a top six um, front four uh, or, or front five, whatever. Um, it's so, so talented. And that's why I'm, I'm convinced Reading will stay up. But obviously, Paul Lintz adds a lot of question marks into it. Um, but he's got some good tools at his disposal. So for me, if he cocks this up, this will be spectacularly terrible for him and Reading, obviously. Yeah, the, the squad is good, isn't it? And it seems to be almost a bit of a straight shootout between them and Derby at the moment, doesn't it, for who's staying up. But Reading have definitely got the tools there. It's just the appointments that they've made is very strange. Um, that was a coupon buster and another coupon buster. Fulham lost. They were beaten 2-1 by Huddersfield. I, I, I'll tell you what, just I thought Huddersfield were brilliant here. Yeah, I, I loved uh, I loved the tactical, tactical battle. I think um, Carlos Corbran's game plan was... Was was absolutely perfect in the first half, and and they stifled Fulham in the second half. They had to defend a two 0 lead, which, I mean, against Fulham, you expect them to get back into the game. But how many times have teams gone two 0 up against Fulham this season? I don't think they have, have they? Um, so yeah, so it, it was a um, a near perfect performance from from Huddersfield defensively. Um, the midfield worked hard. They were organised. Hogg was outstanding in the midfield. Um, they cut the supply to Mitrovic. He had one chance where he was stretching um, stretching at it in a six yard box. He was pretty much nowhere near it. That's as close as he got to the goal. It was it was a great performance and quickly falling in love with this Huddersfield team because defensively. They're brilliant. They're just so so good, um, and that's why for me they they turn they turn themselves into contenders. They've they've started to convince me that they can be a top six um, top six contender this season. They did win a penalty after Sober Thomas was fouled by Mark Rodak. I've seen a lot of debate on Twitter about whether it was a penalty or not. Justin, what did you think of that one? If that's outside the box, I think it's a foul. Um, I think obviously Thomas runs into Rodak, but. Rodax impeded Thomas's efforts to get to the ball um, in some way or another, even if they've collided. So for me, it is a foul. Um, it's a soft foul, but as I say, Rodak stops Thomas from getting to the ball. So um, I, I, I would say it was a penalty. It's a soft penalty, but again, if VAR looks at that, VAR probably gives it. I think it was a penalty. The only thing I'd say is if Sober Thomas isn't brought down by Rodak, would he have got the ball afterwards? Because he's essentially booted out for a goal kick. And if Rodak hasn't dived in like that, then there's no way on earth that Sober Thomas is getting that ball. So 
that's the question mark I'd have, but I'd say it probably is a penalty, mainly for the reasons that you've just said. The first goal was sloppy from a Fulham perspective, wasn't it? They had two chances mm-hmm. to clear it and instead just seemed to contribute to their own demise. But it is 13 games unbeaten now for the Terriers, Justin. They haven't lost since November, which is a pretty remarkable run of form. And they continue to sit in the playoffs. Don't look as if they'll be shifted anytime soon. And as, as you were just alluding to then, Justin, you seem to think that they will be in the playoffs come the end of the season. Is that right? Yeah, I just think defensively that they're brilliant. If you go back to that David Wagner season, um, I think they got like f- plus four goal difference, which is very unusual for a top six team to finish with such low goal difference. But it was because they were so good defensively. Um, but this team is more rounded than that. They do create chances. They do score goals. Um, but they're much better defensively as well. And they're not like a sit back and defend kind of team. They They make it difficult for you. They make it hard work for you. They make it an ugly game because they press you. Um, yeah, they're a very good side without the ball. Um, and if they've got better quality players, this isn't a criticism, if they've got better quality players, they would be an even better side with the ball. Um, and you look at where they are now, it's 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 staggering really. And yeah, they're grinding, they're grinding results out and that's what you've got to do to get into the top six. I've had my doubts about whether Huddersfield will finish in top six. If I'm being completely honest, I still would be surprised if they ended up there. Um, but they're undoubtedly doing brilliant, aren't they? Danny Ward good striker at this level. He was getting quite a bit of stick from Huddersfield fans early in the season, but he's a good player. Subba Thomas, class, Harry Toffolo, someone who doesn't get as much praise as I think he deserves because mm. I think he's brilliant at left-back. You could even make an argument for one of the best in the division, actually. Uh, Lewis O'Brien, one of the best ball-winning midfielders in the division, without a doubt, maybe even the best. Mm. Um, they have got some good players and wherever they end up this season, it's definitely one that marks progression with Carlos Corbran, doesn't it? He's had a lot of question marks against him from last season. Now, I don't think many people have got many question marks around him because he's doing an outstanding job for Huddersfield this season. Um, quick question then, Justin. It's a big question. Um, you were saying Huddersfield top six. What do you reckon the top six will be come the end of the season? <laughs> Great. You, you're going to clip this up and uh, going to... Uh, I'm just interested. I'm just interested. I promise <laughs> I won't clip it. <laughs> um, I, I think it'll be Fulham, Bournemouth, uh, Blackburn, Huddersfield... Sheffield United and Forest. Really? Interesting. Yes. So you left out QPR? Yes, their form is concerning me at the moment and mm. they seem to be dropping quite quickly. And I think Borough, the other team that I've that I've missed out, I said before that I just don't think they've got quite enough and we'll go onto it at some point um, in the episode. But going forward, they, they struggle to convert chances, which is a big issue. Interesting. I'd definitely say Fulham, Bournemouth... Um, will probably be top two coming the end of the season now. Um, Sheffield United for me nailed on for the top six. I'd say Middlesbrough, QPR, and Forest. Leaving out Blackburn, leaving out Huddersfield, both in well, both have had very good runs of form throughout the season, haven't they? But I feel like other teams are just slightly better. But uh, we'll leave that there. I promise I won't clip that up, Justin. Um, quickly back on the game, what what are you thinking with Fulham after this result, Justin? Just a blip or cause for concern? Uh, it's just a blip. I think Huddersfield did a uh, did a job on them. Um, they cut the supply to Mitrovic. Um, I think Fulham were too passive in the first half. They were quite slow with the ball. Um, they could have been a lot quicker. Last ten minutes was better with the ball. You look at. I think Bobby Reid was a good example of it. One touch plays it out wide, uh, and they create a chance from it. So I just think they were just too, a little bit too passive in the first half. Probably maybe a little bit complacent. Um, but as well as that, I think Huddersfield did a job on them, um, and ultimately they weren't good enough to win the game. Even if uh, there's no penalty, they, they 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 don't they don't come away with a with a uh, with a win. Um, one thing I will point out is Bobby Reed's touch for his goal was exquisite. By the way, mm. absolutely delightful. Um, but yeah, it's just a blip. Yeah, I think it's a blip as well. It's interesting because they weren't great against Hull last yeah. week, despite winning. So I'd say it's more than likely that they'll still end up trotting away with the league. But it is interesting that they have seemingly dropped off uh, in the last couple of games. But they have got Peterborough at home in midweek, which is just what you want when you need to get back on track. Steve Bruce's search for his first win as West Brom boss continues after they lost 2-0 to Luton. West Brom missed some unbelievable chances here, didn't they? I mean, that Carl and Grant one, I'm still trying to get my head around exactly what happened there. But West Brom haven't scored in five games now. It's got to be said that this was a problem under Ishmael as well. But this has really been the story of their season, hasn't it? Yeah, I think this game probably 
makes Steve Bruce Bruce's eyes sort of eyebrows raise and go, okay, I've got massive task ahead of me here. Um, this is a massive problem, a huge, huge problem. It was an issue five or six weeks ago under Ishmael and you know, Steve Bruce coming in, you expect it to improve a little bit. But ultimately, if, if strikers aren't converting chances on a consistent basis, then you've got to question the quality of those players um, and whether or not they're up to a task of, uh, of a team pushing for the top two, uh, top six even. It's going to be difficult for them to finish in the top six now. So it's a huge, huge worry. And you say you look at those chances that West Brom missed in this game. They should have been two or three nil up in the first half. And then that's, that's game over. It wasn't. Luton got the first and West Brom had no reply. It, this isn't a top six team. No way. Yeah, I, I'm struggling to see them get in the playoffs now. We were just talking about it then, weren't we? we were talking about which teams we think were finished in top six. Yeah. We didn't even think about West Brom. No. We're making excuses for the likes of uh, you making an excuse for Middlesbrough not being in there um, and me making an excuse for Huddersfield not being in there. We didn't even think about West Brom because they're four points off now, have played a game more than the other sides. I struggled to see them getting in there just because this is more than just a poor run of form now, isn't it? They're just not playing well. You've, you've nailed it. It's it's not just down to down to form. It's it's players who are underperforming. Um, you look at you know the Livermore sending off last week, for example. It's, it's a perfect example of of bad decision making. Carl and Grant with his with his lob uh, is unfortunate, but at the same time, did he have to go for the lob? I don't think he did. He's mm. about eight yeah. yards out. He's about eight yards out. He's on the half volley. He could have put that. He could have put that past Jed Steer, and he's not exactly in the form to be showboating either. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm really worried about West Brom. Um, I don't think I'm convinced they won't finish in the top six. Defensively, they're still not improving either. So this has slowly become a bit of a shambles, and it's unfortunate that Steve Bruce is is coming too late. Hmm. I, I do feel a bit sorry for Steve Bruce because I don't think in the time that he's been there, much has changed. Really, it just seems to be the same, doesn't it? And yeah. I, I, when that happens, you start to question whether it is down to the managers or whether it's just the players um, it is interesting that in terms of expected goals they've got the second highest in the division but in terms of actual goals they're 17th which is uh, remarkable into absolutely bonkers um, one of the teams who looked to be ahead of West Brom in the pecking order for the top six now Justin is Luton two points off only lost two games in 11 they are a side to fear aren't they I th- Luton, if I'm an opposition manager and I've got to go to Kenilworth Road, I am not feeling comfortable at all. Um, it's it's a difficult place to go anyway, obviously, with it being an old-fashioned ground. Um, but the way Luton play as well, they make it so difficult for you. that They're a team that will work hard against you. They will work harder than you. Um, and then the, the quality that they've, they've managed to bring in as well is is, is going to create chances for you. you. Look at Alan Campbell's run in the first half. I think Cameron Jerome hit the post. Um, absolutely magnificent. And they've got that ability to carve teams open. Um, and they've got that ability to see games out as well. They're a really well-balanced team. Um, and this game against West Brom, yeah, sure, they rode the look a little bit um, with some of the West Brom chances. But at the same time, I don't think West Brom had a sniff in the second half. Um, so, yeah, this this is a very good Luton team. Whether they've got enough for the top six, I, I don't know. I don't think they have. But at the same time, anything above mid-table for them is is massive, massive achievement and massive progress. Well, the progress has been there for the last 10 years now, isn't it? Is it? They've only had one season in the last 10 years where they've gone lower than they did the season mm. before. Otherwise, it's just been constant progression and that's all you really want from a club like Luton, isn't it? Um, and eventually, if that continues, then they will end up in the top six, won't they? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm the same as you. I think top six will be a step too far for them this season. But the fact that we're even talking about them being well in the race for it is pretty remarkable in itself. That sounds so patronising, but I, and I don't mean it to be, but um, you can only take your hats off to the job Nathan Jones has done. And each week... We just sit here in amazement, don't we? That uh, how well they play yeah. um, with the resources they've got. In a six-pointer at the bottom of the table, Derby scored a 91st-minute winner to beat Peterborough 1-0. The scenes here, Justin, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they, they, they were. It's any any late finish, sorry, any late winner in a game, um, and, and you're going to get those sorts of scenes, especially in a, in a game that was... Uh, such a grind for Derby uh, and Peterborough as well so yeah massive hats off to, to Derby for carry on going because even after the petulance from Tom Lawrence they, they stuck to their game plan um, and they kept pushing and, and fair play to Louis Sibley as well he's been in line for some criticism this season um, because he's been quite poor but brilliant finish 
Yeah, both teams were down to 10 men for virtually half the game after Hayden Colson was given two yellows and Tom Lawrence a straight red in separate incidents. I, I didn't think Derby were great, to be honest, but Peterborough definitely weren't great either. They didn't manage to have a single shot on target, which I think is quite poor from a Peterborough perspective, considering this is one of the teams that you need to be getting something from. Do you have any chance of staying up? They've come out the other end of a crucial week involving two six-pointers, uh, one here and the other against Reading in the week, and have come out the other side with just a point. And as a result, Justin, I, I'm at the stage now where I think I'd be very surprised if Peterborough stayed up. Yeah, you're you spot on. I, I just don't think they showed any ambition to, to get anything from the last two games. Um, uh, you know, you look at... Um, you look at the the game plan here from Peterborough. Even before the sending off, they they were sat very deep, uh, and they had to because you know Derby are a good possession side, but they were sat very deep. Um, and then Hayden Colson gets sent off, and he takes Callum uh, Darren Ferguson takes Callum Morton off when Callum Morton looked like he was giving Derby some problems in the channels. Kept Jack Marriott on, who did nothing, did absolutely nothing. Um, and and then I think Darren Ferguson came out and said that this team's lacking championship quality. Well, it is, but also you've got to look at yourself. Um, when Derby went down to 10 men, he brought uh, Ferguson brought in uh, Johnson, Johnson Clark-Harris, who did more defending than he did attacking. It was really bad game management from Peterborough. Um, and as I say, saying your squad's not got championship quality and not looking at yourself is, is quite staggering. It was, they were really absolutely quite terrible, to be honest with you. They were really bad performance. It's interesting that he said that because I honestly think that a better manager will get more out of this team. I think Joe Ward's a good player. Johnson Clark Harris has gone from a 31-goal striker to looking lost. Ollie Norburn, uh, Ollie Norburn can play midfield as well. I think it's a team that's good enough to stay up, but you need a good manager to make that happen. And Dan Ferguson's simply not that man. They have been quite fortunate in a way that Barnsley have been even worse than them because it goes some way to hiding how poor they've been. But... I honestly just don't get the loyalty, the undying loyalty that Peterborough have to Darren Ferguson. Poor manager at championship level. This season is turning out to be a perfect example of that. Dare I say if they get someone else in now, they could still stay up. I think it's a possibility. The problem is I just can't see Peterborough sacking him, especially after giving him a three-year contract a few months ago, which is turning out to be an even more bizarre decision now than it did at the time. Uh, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Bristol City and a win for Coventry. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, we live, eat and breathe championship football on this podcast, so not being able to go to some games is gutting. However, Justin, there's a solution. What's the solution? Well, there's a very handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN? (laughs) In a nutshell, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Picture the scene, Justin. It's 3pm on a Saturday. Your side is away from home. If you use NordVPN, then you can change your virtual location and watch the game in your own living room. It's not just football. You can watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or other streaming platforms um, and their content from different countries, meaning you don't have to wait for them to be released on UK Netflix, for example. Also, if you're traveling, you might use unsecure public Wi-Fi. Having NordVPN on your phone, tablet, laptop protects you from pesky hackers. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by using the link in the description of this podcast or head to nordvpn.com and use the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It costs less than a pint, so it's an absolute bargain. Have a look for yourself now. Justin, Bristol City caused a shock after beating Middlesbrough 2-1. This game was all about the boy, Antoine Semenyo, who's having a bit of a breakout season, isn't he? He is. Um, he's Again, he's quickly becoming one of my favourite players in the league because he's got the whole package, hasn't he? I think you go to that f- um, the first goal from Bristol City, his ability to shrug off Marcus Tavernier, who isn't isn't a slight player by any means. He's, he's quite a sturdy, strong, strong lad, Tavernier, and he just shrugs him off like he's absolutely nothing. Plays a nice ball into Vyman, brilliant. And then the second goal, his goal, brilliant build-up play from Alex Scott, Chris Martin and Andy Vyman. And then his finish is brilliant. And that was one part of his game that needed work, wasn't it? Was his was his finishing and his 
become incredibly efficient and ruthless in front of goal. And Bristol City needed to be here because didn't create too many chances. So when they came, they had to put them away. And, and fair play to Semenyo because he's becoming one of those players that is is worth a lot of money for Bristol City. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's safe to say this isn't going to be a season that sticks out in the minds of many Bristol City fans for years to come. But if there is one beaming positive, it is that Semenyo is becoming the player that many were hoping he would be. He's got 10 goal contributions in eight games, Justin, <laughs> which is uh, absolutely remarkable, especially when he only got two goals in the whole of last season. But mm. now he's the star man of this Bristol City side, isn't he? He's got all the attributes you look for in a striker. He works hard. He's got that scoring touch now. He's a great dribbler and can set up chances as well. He's great. He's, he's a really, really good player, a really talented player for Bristol City and one that they should look to be building a team around in the uh, coming season. Um, a good win for Bristol City, quite unpredictable, aren't they? One thing that is certain is that both teams will score in their games. It's the 12th game in a row now uh, that it's happened, so they're a good bet for the old coupon <laughs> uh, when you're having a weekend acker. Um, Middlesbrough were poor here, weren't they? Still created chances though, so it's a bit of a difficult performance to summarise really. Yeah, it's, it's it's a hard one to put your finger on. As you say, they, they still created chances. Um, obviously, you know they brought two strikers in on loan in January, and they're still not as prolific as probably they they should be. Um, and it's it's not too bad of a criticism, but games like this where you come up against a team who do who do take the chances like Bristol City, it becomes too it becomes hard work for you. And obviously, you can't rely on the likes of Matt Crooks to to bail you out in the last minute. Um, uh, every week, uh, you know, he's doing he's doing a very good job of that. But other players need to step up and and start taking on the load a little bit because that you know there there is there's going to be occasions where games are tight. Um, you go back to that Blackburn game that they lost, needed a striker to put the ball in the back in that um, uh, against against Blackburn then, and they needed it here because they created a lot of chances and they should have been home and host. Mm, yeah, it's um, definitely a difficult one to really summarise, isn't it? They're still well in touch of the playoffs. They're sat seventh at the moment, so still looking a decent bet for that. Only other issue I've got from this game is I've spoken quite a lot about the camera at Ashton Gate, Justin. It seems to be even further away. How? It's miles away from the pitch. I do not understand it. I could barely see the players. They look like ants with this camera angle. It's so odd. I don't have an issue with it. The, the one I have an issue with... It's on is... the moon! The one I have an issue with is Fulham, and it got worse in that Fulham game because the, the camera failed, and then we had this corner <laughs> camera. So it could be worse. It could be worse, but I don't have an issue with the camera at Ashton Gate. It's a bit far from the. Uh, it's so from far away. Pitch. Every other every other stadium, it's absolutely fine. But Bristol City, I, I do not understand how they can have a camera that far away from a pitch, and it's not been sorted out this season. And I, for one, am absolutely repulsed. A 93rd minute winner from Dominic Hyam gave Coventry a 1-0 win over Barnsley. Another game with fantastic late limbs, Justin. Yeah, it was, and I, I thought Coventry were really good here. Um, it was almost a complete performance, to be honest with you. They they reduced Barnsley to absolutely nothing. They controlled the game. Um, they passed some passed Barnsley off the park. I think the only criticism you could have of Coventry is not putting the game to bed a lot sooner. Um, but as you say, I think I think uh, a ninety third minute winner is probably better than scoring two or three goals early on in the second half and killing the game. Makes more of a spectacle for the supporters. Um, and, and you could you could tell that as soon as High and put the ball in the back of net, the noise that came from Coventry fans was, was was brilliant. But yeah, really really good performance from Coventry. Really really impressed. And um, you know they, they showed that grit and determination to to get points from their game that they showed in that first quarter of the season. Yeah, they were certainly knocking on the door of Barnsley's goal for quite some time, weren't they? And they would have felt very aggrieved had they not got the win here. You've got to feel sorry for Barnsley's Jesper Moon, who made the error that led to the goal. He's from Coventry as well, yeah, so that's that. a really cruel on him. <laughs> um, Fabio Tavares got a debut for Coventry. He's someone that fans have been wanting to see for quite a while, so we're very happy when he came, when he came on. He's very highly rated at uh, Coventry. Um, they're now three points off the top six with this result. Still very much in the hunt, aren't they? Not far off at all, especially when all the other teams who are you know, fighting for the playoffs didn't have good weekends. Barnsley continued to be sat at the foot of the table, nine points from safety. Stoke 2, Birmingham 2. Justin, Tyrese Campbell's first goal. I need to ask you this. Is that e That's either one of the best goals of the season or one of the worst goals because I cannot work out for the life of me whether he meant it or not. If I, if I was to make a, a, a judgment right now um, or, or seeing it live, I'd have said he's tried to control it, he's miscontrolled it and the wind's probably carried it past the goalkeeper. Uh, mm. So I think it was an accident, but he made up for it with his second goal, didn't he? 
Yeah, he, he's kind of swung a leg at it and it sliced in and ended up rolling in. I'm, I'm not too sure what happened. Obviously, he'll say that he meant it, but uh, yeah, a strange one. Uh, but two goals for him in this game. His first goal was in two months as well. He hasn't mm. had the impact we hoped since coming back from injury, has he, Justin? But hopefully this will give him confidence. Yeah, I think Michael O'Neill said he's been struggling with a, a bit of a sort of a knee, a knee problem since coming back from his, his knee injury, which... Um, yeah, there's a lot of expe- expectation on Campbell, especially coming back after that injury and his goal against Peterborough that he scored where he dribbled past pretty much half the team. You expected him to, to kick on. It's not quite been the same, but also he's, he's come into the team. He came into the Stoke team as their form dipped massively as well. So that's not going to help him. But the two goals he scored here, okay, maybe more so the second one, showcased his quality. Um, you know, he's touching the side and his finish was, was brilliant. And um, we hope to see a little bit more of that um before the end of the season yeah the fact of the matter is the playoffs is looking unlikely now for Stoke mm-hmm. isn't it but I think one of the targets for the remainder of the season has got to be to get Campbell back to the player that he was um, they do that and then Stoke have got one of the best attackers in the division because he was absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal last season before he got injured if he has been playing with an injury I find that a bit strange I, I'd have thought if you're Michael O'Neill you want to nurse him back to 100% full fitness instead no, of options though well, they, they've got Wright Phillips. They've got uh, Philogene Bedace now as well. So I, I think they have got options. Um, and it, even up front, they've got the likes of Brown, haven't they? So I, I, I do find that a bit strange, personally, for me. But um, hopefully he gets back to the player that he was, because I loved him when he was playing last season in full form. Um, hmm. And we're starting to see in small glimpses the player that he was. Um, For Birmingham, 17-year-old Jordan James scored his first senior goal. He's been playing quite a bit for Blues, hasn't he? And looks a good Mm -hmm. talent. Doesn't seem to be phased at all playing at this level at such a young age. Um, The only other thing I've got to add from this game is that Josh Tymon nearly scored the goal to end all goals. 40 yards out. Hits it so sweetly and it's hit the bar. And when I say the bar, I mean the bar above the top bin. It is right in the top corner. If it was a couple of inches lower, we'd be, you know, just ending this podcast and just talking about that goal for the rest of the time. It would have been sensational. Birmingham sit 18th for this point, while Stoke are 13th, six points off the playoffs. Final game of the weekend was Cardiff and Blackpool, which finished one all. Joel Bagan scored again. He's got three and three, Justin. He's a left back. What are you yeah. doing? Um, <laughs> only thing I've jotted down from this game is the penalty decision. Josh Bowler was given a yellow card for diving when wasn't a dive at all was it no it was it was, a, it was a foul and I think yeah Blackpool were quite unfortunate um in that respect and they've had a couple of decisions go against them which is which is a shame but uh, yeah I've read that conditions weren't the best yesterday uh, <laughs> at the Cardiff City Stadium so you can excuse maybe the referee for being uh, winded in the eyes you know when you know when it gets all really watery when it's dead windy and some like... of your excuses sometimes <laughs> honestly um interesting little quirk that's popped up in uh, to my attention is that Blackpool have got three games in March and eight in April which is a very strange um right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news and Reading have parted company with Velko Paunovic. Paul Lintz has been named interim manager for the remainder of the season. Still sounds weird as I say it now. <laughs> Moving on, Bournemouth v Forest was postponed on Friday night because of Storm Eunice. It was announced at 4pm, just under four hours before kickoff. Bournemouth say the Vitality Stadium was damaged by the storm. The structural engineers carried out inspections of the stadium and confirmed it could pose serious danger to supporters' safety. According to The Telegraph... Forest were furious that it was postponed so late in the day. They wanted a decision by the morning at the latest. Forest also offered to play the game on Saturday morning, but Bournemouth declined. Bournemouth have also apologised for the late announcement and the fixture will be rescheduled in due course. I think the top line here is just in. There's very little excuse for games being called off this late in the day. There's got to be a firm decision made early on, hasn't there? Well, there's a red weather warning, which from my limited meteorology expertise is the worst is the worst weather warning, isn't it? So at that point, you get that weather, weather warning, you go, probably should call it off just to be on the safe side because, as I say, high winds, you know, anything, anything can happen, especially if, you know, Bournemouth's quite an open ground, isn't it? So you're, a lot of fans travelling down as well. You should have called the game off um, in the morning, really, with the expectation that the weather's going to cause a bit of havoc, not at 4 p.m., three and a bit hours before kickoff when fans would have already arrived on the south coast that's it's not good enough that isn't 
yeah, it's it's really not good enough. You've got to remember that Forest of Forest bands have travelled all the way down to Bournemouth. Many of them probably would have been in Bournemouth by the time the game was called off. Exactly. Um, so they've had to travel anyway when travel was being discouraged. Um, so yeah, he should have been called off a lot earlier. I don't. Uh, I think the excuse that I've seen is that the structural engineers had to do a full check before they could officially call it off. But I think common sense should have prevailed here exactly. and they should have called it off earlier. Um, whether the stadium was damaged or not, quite frankly. Um, and then, of course, on Saturday, we then had Blackpool, Blackpool, Blackburn v Millwall called off just 45 minutes before kickoff. And same applies here, doesn't it? Why was the announcement left so late in the day? Well, I think Tony Mowbray came out and said um, him and Rao, him and Gary Rao were happy for the game to go ahead. Um, again, it's a, it's a weather issue, but Preston went ahead. Um, I think Bolton went ahead and they're all in quite close vicinity. So, Again, really, really poor. I think that was at the referee's discretion, the, the Blackburn game, but still, there's weather warnings in place. <laughs> You've got to think of the fans here. You know, Millwall fans coming up from London. It's, it, it, just think about the fans. That's all I'm trying to get to the point here. Yeah. It's, 45 it's really minutes. 45 minutes so before kickoff is. Everyone's already there at that, that point, aren't they? Yeah. That, that's shocking, it really is. Um, EFL clubs could be docked points if they fail to pay players on time under new regulations. Sides must now self-report a failure to pay players' wages within two working days of the scheduled date of payment. Any club who fall foul of the rules are unable to register players until wages are paid, but could now also be punished by multiple points deductions. The change was approved at Thursday's EFL Extraordinary General Meeting. Any thoughts on this one, Justin? I don't know why this wasn't a rule <laughs> five, six years ago. <laughs> why was this not a Good rule? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, should have been in a long time ago. Uh, should have been, yeah, that's it really. Should have, should have been in place a long time ago. Now, according to the Times, VAR Lite could be introduced in the Football League in two seasons' time. It's a low-cost version of normal VAR. It involves four autonomous cameras. The video assistant referee will be sat in the stands watching the game on a laptop. And then instead of a pit-side monitor, the referee will have an iPad to look at. Now, and this is important, it won't include offside decisions. And I assume, I don't have the facts in front of me, but I assume it's because the technology's not there for it. But Justin, I'm guessing, as someone who's been a big campaigner for VAR in the Championship, I'm assuming you'd be all right with this? Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I am. It does make me laugh a little bit when you say VAR like. Can you remember the old iPhone games that used to get um, the free versions of them and they used to be <laughs> absolutely crap? Uh, I just hope it's not that. Uh, that's not the case. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a step in the right direction and I think this will um, this will be a massive, massive push i feel sorry for the uh official who's sat in the stands with the laptop by the way who's going to be it sounds like it's going to be amongst the crowd uh don't yeah, think he will be, be. <laughs> <laughs> um, um yeah, yeah it's good it's a good thing i did see people complaining about it and i, I think there are people who seem to complain about the standard of refereeing in the championship but then also complain about the possibility of var i feel like You've got to have one or the other. You, you exactly. can't complain about both. Um, so I, I'm all for this as well. Stoke defender Tom Edwards has gone back to America. He's joined MLS side New York Red Bulls on a season-long loan. He was there for six months last year. Swansea assistant coach Luke Williams has left the club due to personal reasons. He joined the club when Russell Martin was appointed. Word on the street. Is that Angel Rangel? Could be coming in, Justin. Ooh. That'll be a, ooh, that's got a Justin's yeah. attention right up. Um, Luton, I've got another sponsor on their home shirts. They've now got Utilita because the old sponsor, JB Development, has run into difficulties. And finally, Ben Brereton Diaz met with a fan at their game on Saturday after he travelled all the way from Chile. The fan, not Ben Brereton Diaz, that is. The man tweeted that he hoped to watch um, BBD play for Blackburn this weekend, um, but he's injured at the moment so he promised to meet him during the game instead of course the game was called off anyway so he mm. wouldn't have been able to see him but uh, at least he got to meet his hero which I suppose is nice isn't it Justin it is very nice I'd, I'd love to do that meet my hero I don't know who that who is, is your hero? Uh, I don't know I'm trying to think now I'm on the spot I don't know, know. Darren Moore that would be cool Darren Moore, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Justin, it's time for the polls. This is where we ask the listener three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship. The first question was this. Who's staying up? Derby, Peterborough, Reading or Barnsley? Uh, I still think Reading. Yeah, I'll go with Reading. So, 67% of people said Derby. 28% said Reading. 3% said Peterborough. Only 2% said Barnsley. Wow. 
was surprisingly low for Reading, to be honest with you. I just think that front four is ridiculous. You seem to be one of the only people I know who think Reading are going to stay up. Even Reading fans are too optimistic. I know, it's weird, isn't it? I don't know why. Yeah. I still think Derby are definitely the favourites, but it just seemed to be a straight shootout between those two teams now, doesn't it? Um, will Huddersfield finish in the playoffs, yes or no? Yeah, I've already said, haven't I? I think they will. 59% of people said no. 41% said yes. So very tight, that one. And finally, did your bin fall over in Storm Eunice, yes or no? Mine did not. I've My bins have stayed upright. I secured them. Well, well done. Um, mine did fall over. Uh, 64% of people, their bins did not fall over. 36% of people, their bins did fall over. Um, could be worse. They could be flying off in the air. Did you see that video? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's fake or not. If it is, it's incredible. <laughs> Honestly, that, yeah, it's incredible. Like, it's the wind's... the most remarkable video I've ever seen in my life, but it's it's a brilliant. It, there was a lot of good Twitter content over the past couple of days. <laughs> right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon, Chris and Ed. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Charlie Wise from Talking Rangers and Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say, name the eight highest ranked English teams who have just one word in their name. And Charlie would say Chelsea. That's one down. And Tom would say Liverpool. That's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So there's been a lot of talk about Antonio Conte this week at Spurs. And uh, especially after he got the win last week, he's not the happiest man on earth, despite uh, the result last night. Um, but let's remember the people who came before him. Can you name me the eight Spurs managers before Antonio Conte? We're not including interim or caretaker managers here, only the permanent ones. We'll start off with you, Charlie. Can you name me a Spurs manager prior to Antonio Conte? Jose Mourinho. Absolutely. A year and a half at Spurs for Jose. Tom? Uh, Poch. Pochettino. Yes, absolutely. Five seasons at Spurs for Mr Pochettino. So you've got two so far. Justin, you're going? Uh, I don't think there's anyone in between Mourinho and Pochettino. Yeah, there was. No, there wasn't. Oh, God, I don't know. Um, (laughs) uh, The last one, Nuno Espirito Santo. Absolutely. Just four months at White Hart Lane. Always seemed to be a bit of a strange move, didn't it? You've got five to go then, chaps. There's all three of you still in. Charlie, back to you. Vlas Boas. Absolutely. A year and a half at Spurs, which is a lot longer than I thought it was. Um, so you're halfway there. Tom, you're going. This might be a stretch because of how long ago it feels. Redknapp. Absolutely. Four years at Spurs for high red wow. um, so He is the ago. sixth most recent. So you have got three remaining just in your go. Juan de Ramos. Absolutely. Came to England with a big reputation, lasted just a year. Um, he is the seventh most recent. So you've got two to go. You're all looking a bit confused now. Charlie, your go. Oh, I don't know. Um, I think he was interim, but no one else has come into me. Tim Sherwood, I don't think he got. I don't think he got it. Tim Sherwood was permanent. Yeah, he was at the club. what? Um, he went there. Was he? They went from. Yeah, he actually was. Yeah, they went oh from Tim God. Sherwood to Pochettino. I have no idea how they managed that. Um, but yeah, that's absolutely right. So you've got one remaining. Um, Tom, do you know who it is? I don't. Um, I was in two. I was gonna say Sherwood, but I was also in two minds, like Charlie, whether he was interim or not. Um, because it was quite a short period, I think. Mm. I can't even get one in my head. No, 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 I'm out. No. I can't think of so Tom, I can't think of any. Tom is out. That means it's <laughs> down to Justin and Charlie with one remaining. Justin, do you know who it is? I think you do. Yeah, Lasagna Gate, isn't it? It's that period. Uh, Martin Yol. Absolutely. Three years at Spurs for Martin Yol. So well done, chaps. You absolutely got it right. I was uh, surprised, actually, because I did it with my uh, family yesterday. They uh, missed out Tim Sherwood. So Charlie White is pulling it out of the bag. Well done, son. Wow. That time I did half decent on one of these. Jesus. <laughs> Good effort. 
<laughs> well done, chaps. I mean, we, we haven't, Justin was just saying uh, before, we haven't had many correct winners on a Sam and Grayson take for late this season. So well done. You can all pat yourselves on the back. And listener, you can pat yourself on the back as well, because this is another episode of the Second Tier Podcast. Wraps up for the week. We'll be back again on Thursday to go through all the midweek games in the Championship. We've got a full round of games coming up. So we look forward to seeing you then. Quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. Charlie Wise from the QPR YouTube channel, Talking Rangers. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. Been a pleasure. Tom Morgan, Total Swans TV. Thank you for your time today. Uh, thanks, guys. Pleasure as always. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Picture the scene. It's 3pm on a Saturday, your team's playing away from home and you can't go. You're sat there wanting to watch your championship side play, but you can't get it on your telly. Well, fear no more, dear listener. Why not try NordVPN? NordVPN lets you access content from over 59 countries just by changing your virtual location. So essentially, your internet will think you're abroad and that means you can get access to the 3pm Saturday games from the comfort of your own living room. It's not just football, you can do it with streaming services as well. For example, I was on Canadian Netflix the other day and was watching the Shawshank Redemption. You can't get that on streaming services here. It's also useful for cybersecurity when you're on the move too. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier or use the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It costs the same as a cup of coffee each month, so why not give it a go right now?